<laughs> CG Show, Episode 7. With me today, Mr. Chris Smith, the founder of Big Esports, which you help esports influencer campaigns. You consult, you run events, and you run workshops. Literally everything that's got to do with esports or gaming, you're the man. Thank you so much for joining me today, Chris. All right, man. Happy to be here. <laughs> it's we. I gave you a call a couple of months ago because I stumbled across exactly what you do, and um, you know, esports and gaming um, obviously has trickled my interest. We had a we had a good conversation, and then you know, we obviously caught up as well just to discuss um, you know a bit of investing and how exactly it all works. So I've been trying to wrap my head around the game still, and I'm still learning and really delving into it. And it's a big reason why I wanted to get you on today because I think you got a lot of value that you can provide um, to a lot of people. Um, this is a space that is growing at a, an alarming rate, especially due to COVID. I'm sure it's just been going nuts. Um, mm. Explain to, let's start off with just obviously, just a bit of a general understanding of explain esports and gaming to the, <clears throat> what is this online craze that's been going on at the moment? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've obviously remembered one thing that we talked about at the start, right? Which is what's what's the difference between gaming and what's the difference between <laughs> esports? You know, like like esports is a massive buzzword right now. It's like uh it's like blockchain, or dare I say like blockchain esports is like the buzzword of the buzzword if you put those two together. So like you know, esports is a massively growing industry in in Australia and around the world in, in many different countries. It's 20 to 30 percent compound annual growth rate. And those are numbers from people like PwC and you know the the ones who make the big bucks to to be able to make those definitions properly. I think at one stage it was a twenty three point four percent compound annual growth rate in Australia in twenty seventeen, which is big. But as far as esports goes as a whole, you know it's only a it's a one point one billion dollar USD market, so it's growing, but it's not massive yet. But the massive thing is the gaming market and games market as a whole, um, which is in Australia a three point three billion dollar. AUD market globally 153 billion. So games is bigger than music and movies industry combined together. Didn't you? I think you post. I uh, you already told me, but I think you actually posted a carousel of that the other day, really mm. showing the stats. And it's crazy, mm. obviously, what's been going on. And just explain a little bit about what you do. So how how do you, how did how did you get into this? And what are you like? Where, what are you doing? Sure. <laughs> how do you sure. Do so I guess, you know, I've been in it for over a decade now already. Um, you know, I'm 20, 28, coming on 29. So this has been, you know, kind of my my job since 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 jobs were a thing for me. You know, I did a I did an IT traineeship straight out of school as a gap year, you know, planned to go into university to do psychology or something like that. I had got accepted into a Bachelor of Behavioral Science and you know, ended up landing a job in this in this industry. So for me, I started out like many people did, which is as a player. You know, I was a young kid playing a lot of video games and thinking, how can I prove that I'm better than other people? And how can I become a better player? There must be some sort of competitions. You know, I played in soccer in school. I played cricket in school. Um, I played a little bit of volleyball and thinking, you know, I can prove my worth against other people. I can train. I can get better. Why can't I do this in video games too? I can compete. So 
I went on that pathway and, you know, that enabled me to become, you know, one of the best in, in one of the best teams in Australia for multiple different first person shooter titles. You know, I played in top four, top eight, sometimes number one ranked team, depending on what it was in a, in a few different games. It allowed me to, you know, travel around Australia a bit and play some games, but nothing too, nothing too big. You know, when I was playing, it, it wasn't possible to get a hundred thousand USD salary. It wasn't possible to play for a $35 million prize pool like it is today, like Australians are doing today and people around the world, like 16 year olds are doing and winning today you know four million bucks um pre-tax so not quite in their pocket so you know for me i've done a bit of everything in this space since i was around 16 17 you know i was a commentator for a period of time got a couple of international opportunities that didn't mature due to visa requirements um you know i did pr marketing for six years i helped launch two different companies into australia worked for one for four years one for two one from taiwan one from the us um you know i managed one of australia's professional players um did pr marketing like i said for those two brands i was a journalist for a year and a half helped to found an esports association so for me like on my personal professional development every time i thought i found the right thing i thought i was like yep i want to be the best player in the world this is what i want to set myself to then when i kind of quote unquote retired from semi-professional play i was like i want to be the biggest and best commentator in the world that's what i want to do and then i want to be the biggest and best marketing head in the world and i realized after a while that after I did, you know, 20 of these different jobs that actually, you know, I want to work on the industry, not in the industry. I want to be able to help the whole space grow. I want to be the connector. And I, and I talked about this a little bit in my content that I'm sure we'll talk about later. I specifically remember a period of time sitting there at like midnight on, on a school day, you know, in grade 11, when I was 17 years old, sitting there being disappointed in myself, thinking it really sucks. I spend so much time to get to know people. You know, I really invest in people. I love to connect. I love to talk. I love to learn about people's lives and discuss ideas with them, you know, talk about different things and think I'm never going to be able to make a job out of that. It's ridiculous. I've got to stop talking to people. I've got to go do something. And now, I mean, that's my job. You know, just just last week, um, it was announced that a two-year deal was signed between Ghost Lifestyle, who make um, and who make a new gaming product, an energy product. You can kind of you can kind of see it through through my head here. Um we signed a two-year deal with them and Exit, which is an upcoming, very diverse-based esports team, global esports team, multiple six-figure deal, multiple-year contracts. You know, that was us. And that was through relationships. You know, that was I'm good friends now with Ghost, and I was good friends for a long time with the Exit founding team. So you can make money out of relationships, but you just need to find the right way and the right place to make them work. So, you know, that's that's where we function a lot these days, create a lot of content. We do a lot of consultancy. Um, we're doing some hands-on consultancy with some global clients, which is not just, hey, we will help you to decide what to do in esports and gaming we will work with you on a plan to your strengths and we'll actually run it for you or with you when it rolls out so we're very hands-on you know there is a space for the pwcs and the kpmgs to be like hey can you do us a financial model can you help us to consult and pass me the details but esports gaming you know you need to put your money where your mouth is or or for me your knowledge and information where your mouth is so the saudi arabian client that we're working with um who's a movie cinema company even if i told them everything they couldn't do it you know, you, you couldn't just give someone a manual on how to be a doctor and go, there you go, go cut that person open. But, you know, they need to be handheld through that process. And that's that's what really excites me. It's not just, you know, telling people, not, not just, say, Gary V, who'll often be like, here are the three steps to do X, Y, Z. I would rather say, look, here are the three steps and I'm going to hold your hand and we're going to do it together. And I'm going to get a bit of equity in your company and we're going to build it together. And then when you can run and, you know, I help you walk when you can run, then I'll go on to the next thing. Talking about actually Gary Vee, and I'm glad you actually said that. He actually, I wanted to ask you, he actually launched Vayner Gaming or mm. something like that. What is that? 
Yeah, so it's a um, it's a influence agency and player agency. Um, so player agencies really didn't exist because in the in the past five to ten years, because simply esports professionals, the people who play as a competition, like an AFL player or a tennis player, not the celebrities, not the influencers, they they just weren't earning enough money. You know, you, yeah. there's no point in taking five, ten, fifteen, twenty percent of their salary month to month because their salary might be two thousand dollars a month. So you can't make a business off a hundred bucks here, a hundred bucks there, and, and they're barely making enough to survive as it is. But now, you know, you're seeing things like the Call of Duty League, which is a franchise league. Gary V also is an investor in a team in there called the Minnesota Rocker. You know, they installed minimums that every single franchise player needs to be paid at least eighty thousand USD a year, even if they're sitting on the bench. So now you're starting to see those minimums. Now you're starting to see the League of Legends Championships in America has around a $300,000 USD contract on a on a one to three year. That's the minimum. That's the minimum average. Average minimum is is around a 300 grand contract. So now you're seeing enough money start to come in. So you're seeing a few like Ford models has gotten into the area. You know they've been around since the 1920s, I think, and they work with just about every good looking person in New York, and now a lot of esports players as well. Um, you know, you're seeing other ones like Prodigy Agency coming out of France in hardcore esports. Um, Jeremy, who's a good friend of mine, runs that. You know, they're representing, I think, something like 30 or 40 plus gaming talent around the world now, from Belgium to the to the US to Korea and others as well. So you're starting to see like this management come in, and obviously it's important. You know, when I was playing at top levels in Battlefield 2, I was 17 years old. There's no way I knew how to read a contract. I was from a small town in it's called Devonport in Tasmania. You know, my mum's <laughs> social worker, dad works in IT. They don't have any idea about about contracts and things like that. So it's important to get that representation, especially now when you can, you know, when you can literally be 17 years old, like some of these guys are in this League of Legends teams. They're, they're 16, 17. They're being paid 100, 300 grand a year, USD plus free houses and everything to, you know, to live in. Wow. Um, how, in Australia, how do we compare to the rest of the world in regards to to, to gaming, um, influences-wise, our quality, everything, I guess? Mm -hmm. So esports is fairly infant here compared to the to the rest of the world. You know, there was a there was a massive surge with a lot of investment. You know, 2017, 2018, everyone wanted to buy an esports team. And you know, a similar contact that, that we have with with Leo as well as with Playside and such, you know, that's where I started working with Playside. They came to me and said, Chris, I want to buy an esports team. And I said, look, for you guys, I think it's a terrible idea. Um, and that was my opinion for them as as a consultant, not as a financial advisor. And I guess I have to Preface that I don't. I, I'm not a financial advisor, so please don't don't take my financial advice. Um, <laughs> but you know the the space here in Australia, we're, we're limited by by you know our country size. But the advantage is that we speak the same language, so our, our influencers massively overperform. We've got the eighth most watched YouTube creator of any YouTube creator at all. So single person who makes YouTube videos, yep. the eighth most watched in the world lives in Sydney. He gets around 270 million video views a month just on YouTube. Not including his TikTok, his Instagram, his Twitter, um, anything else like that. He's often streaming to twenty to fifty thousand concurrent viewers on YouTube. So that means twenty to fifty thousand people are watching him at any one time. Usually, when he releases a video, within twenty-four hours of that video being released, it's got about five and a half million views. I mean, wow. so that means that him by himself. Um, you know, he creates content out of, out of a small office. He has, um, you know, a non-full-time manager, and he's got a couple of editors that work with him. He's bigger than Love Island. By himself. <laughs> That's, That's why those numbers. There's um there's also a guy I actually stumbled across his uh Instagram page just the other day, Doctor mm -hmm. Disrespect, I think it is. Yep. yep. What is that? That I I, I read I read a little bit about his story and um I uh, Michael who you met with me, I gave him a call and just said, Michael, 
who is this guy? And Mikey gave me the rundown, and I was, mm. I was, I was amazed. Um, maybe you you could probably give us a ten times better in depth um, discussion about who Doctor Disrespect is sure. and what he's about and what he's he's what he's doing content wise at the moment. So he does one thing really well, which is he plays a character. So you know his his history and you know his real life name is Guy Guy Beam and he actually used to design um, games. He designed levels within games in Call of Duty. So he worked for Activision. So he now is an influencer who plays the game that that he was helping to create previously. But what he does really well is he plays this uh, macho '80s character. You know this kick-ass like if you were to see like a cop show in the '80s where the guy's got like a mullet, he's got a big moustache, he's kicking down doors, he's kissing all the women, he's driving a Ferrari. You know he's smoking out the window, he's not wearing a seatbelt. Like this is the type of guy that he plays. You know, and he's got the whole shtick where he calls himself like you know the two-time. He's like the two-time world champ and and various things like that too. So, you know, he, he does that extremely well. But, I mean, you know, he is, uh, you know, top top five definitely, maybe top three in regards to like reach and viewership of, of anyone. And, you know, the earnings potential for guys like this, like, you know, if he's not earning 15 to $20 million a year, like he needs a new manager um, at, at minimum, at minimum. You know, there are other guys who are similar size to him, like a guy called Nick Merckx, who's, who's known for playing a lot of Fortnite and now into Call of Duty Warzone. You know, he's paying subscribers purely on Twitch. There's one monetary value where um, people can pay to support you on on Twitch TV, which is a streaming platform. The lowest amount of support is $4.99 USD per month. Twitch keeps 50% of that generally, but for someone big, they'll keep around 30%. And he's got, um, you know, around 80 to 120 grand a month coming in that he's keeping, not you know, after the split, just purely from that one vehicle, not including any other ad revenue, not including brand deals, direct monetary donations, anything like that. So all these kind of guys will have these kind of similar amounts of, of subscribers where they're pulling in, you know, 12 million bucks a year purely from this one source, not, not including anything else. That's, that's insane. Talking about, talking about Twitch, um, I've been playing around with it a little bit. Um, I know, obviously, it was built... Uh, purely for gaming um, and now, but I've been playing around with it. There's a lot of people that are using it for content. Like there's streams that go on for four or five days of just people sitting around, sitting around, a, sitting around a table, just talking and just going along. What do you know much mm-hmm. about the, the Twitch platform and what's it, what's, where's it heading? Where's it evolving to and, and what's, what's happening? And are there other platforms in that are, that are very big for gaming or is like how's youtube responding to all this does youtube care about the gaming industry like what's what's going on mm-hmm. yeah it's funny it's like um it's it's a funny it's a funny set of happenings right so so twitch tv started as a thing called justin tv and that was because of one of the founders justin um and and two other guys basically they were like can we make a reality show where we broadcast what justin sees 24/7 so he wore like a computer and a hat with a camera on it and he was like a PC coder, and they were broadcasting that nonstop. You know, there's a there's a fantastic podcast. If if anyone wants to listen to podcasts about startups um, and funding in general, I would suggest the Gimlet Media podcast called Startup. Um, it's very it's very meta. Um, it starts off with them making a podcast about them starting their podcast company. And I think it ends, like they sold to Spotify for a lot of money. So I'd say it ends around there. But they include, they've got stories of other people throughout that time as well. And it was a great story about these guys, how they started. And, 
you know, then they they had Justin TV and then they found out that a lot of people were actually using it to start to stream StarCraft and games. So they created an offshoot after a while called Twitch.tv. So they had both. Justin TV was like, you know, Joe Rogan could do his podcast on there, but he ended up doing it on whatever that other streaming platform was that that, that people used to use. Um and do general stuff. Twitch TV was purely for gaming. So there was a period of time when Twitch was banning people for doing things that weren't gaming. There was a popular female StarCraft II host, um, and she got a temporary ban because she was streaming and talking to people while cleaning a room and building a gaming chair, like the one that I'm sitting on. But now we've gone full circle where just chatting, as the category is called, is the fastest growing category and, and one of the largest categories of all of them, which is generally people just chatting. So a lot of the time they might be doing what you call like an IRL stream where there's a a US guy that's been in Australia for a while. He goes and does survival challenges on Fraser Island and he'll broadcast that. He went to rural places in the Philippines and he's broadcasting what he can see. There's a camera on his shoulder and you can see basically eyeline as to what he's doing. He's um, four by fouring out in the middle of nowhere in Queensland. He's fly fishing. He's um, skydiving. Like he's doing all of this stuff um, and you can you can watch it live. You know, maybe not skydiving because you're probably out of reception if you're up there, but pretty much everything else he does, you know, live kayaking, like all that kind of stuff. Um, and that's a massively fast growing thing. So, so now they've actually, you know, in the past, I think about eight years ago now, they shut down Justin TV and they allowed this stuff to come across to Twitch TV now as well. I mean, there's um, uh, French Parliament has broadcast political proceedings on Twitch TV before. Um, Donald Trump got banned off Twitch TV for a while due to some stuff that he said, but they were they were broadcasting his rallies, I believe. On, on Twitch, it was some some comments about Mexico or something. They they banned him because of some TOS, some comments that he made. Um, there's there's so much there's so much on on Twitch now. There's even like a, one of the biggest shows ever is called Raj Royale, which is like a a fake kind of dating battle royale show, which is a super meta. But it gets like ten to thirty thousand concurrent viewers. You know, it's it's got massive clips that come there all the time. You know, massive live stream fails and people saying awkward and weird stuff, um, and you know, really playing up that rhetoric of gamer girl and gamer boy and these kind of things too. So Twitch is huge, and I mean, uh, was it three, four years ago now? It sold to Amazon for just under a billion dollars, which in the startup, in the in the founders' minds, as as per like the podcast I was mentioning, that's much more than they expected to get for it. And I think most people too. But the the potential is massive. You know, like I was saying here, you've got you've got the top of the crop creators are making twelve million bucks a year just off basically donations. You know, not including anything else. You know, I think Twitch was was uh, trying to make around six hundred million in revenue last year. They they fell just a little bit short of that. But Amazon's diving in deep. If you've got an Amazon Prime subscription, you get automatic benefits now on Twitch TV. Um, there's auto plugins for e-commerce now too, where streamers can say, "Hey, do you want to buy this microphone that I'm using on stream and be like me?" Look down below. There's a link directly to Amazon, and they get fed back. You know, a percent or two percent you know commission and sell it through to amazon so there's so many different things that you can wow um, is there anything else that's competing against twitch or is twitch just the one at the moment it really is the one. I mean, Facebook's trying. Um, here in Australia, they've just hired a new partnership manager. So there's a management company called Click Management. They've just hired a new guy, Nate Bramley, to to be like a Facebook CSP. From my understanding, he's not going to be onboarding new streamers to Facebook. They signed some big deals with some, with some global influencers. Um, Facebook gaming is huge in Southeast Asia because in the Philippines and many other countries, you know, where it's low, low socioeconomic, Facebook is free data. So Facebook is the um, place over there, whereas most gaming operates on Twitter and it's starting to come to Instagram. Um, but YouTube as well is making massive ways as well. YouTube has that eighth largest creator. You know, they've got um, Laserbeam. 
That's yeah. his name, or Lannan is his real life name. If you want to look him up, uh, he's been streaming on there a lot, and they've also started performing well in esports. They bought the rights to some Blizzard and Activision um, games, which are the two largest franchise leagues in the world, pure pure franchise leagues, launched as a franchise league, which is Overwatch League and Call of Duty League. And from the numbers I've seen, they're starting to outperform Twitch on the same channels when when they were broadcast across them both. So they're starting to gain some traction in there too, um, and that kind of stuff. But you know, people might have seen if you're in the market, other platforms like Mixer died because, um, you know, Mixer was created by Microsoft who have unlimited amounts of money. But unfortunately, Mixer's marketing and and position seem to be where Twitch but not, um, which which doesn't quite fly. Uh, you need to have something a little bit different. You know, if you were to make the next Tesla, you can't make a car that looks 93% like it because there's no point. They're just going to go buy a Tesla. Um, but there are some other platforms that are, that are coming through and starting to make some grounds. But, you know, I mean, someone was asking me the other day, someone who has access to a lot of capital. They're like, hey, Chris, should we make a new streaming platform? And I was like, man, unless you've got 500 million bucks, don't do it. <laughs> because I think realistically, it's how much it's going to cost to, to try to overthrow someone like like Amazon and wow. Twitch. Okay. Um, and just in, just in regards to... A lot of these guys, these these personal brands that are that are making the, these influencers that are making mm. the most the most money out of uh, what they're doing, is this uh, is it kind of like where are they the best at gaming or at esports or is it just they they've just built such a big brand that they're they're making money from it? Like, what's where's the balance mm. of like the, the rankings? Really, I'd say there's got to be there's got to be a mix. They've got to be you know generally like if i was to write like a formula they've got to be like top 10 percentile so they've actually got to be better than most people watching them they don't have to be the best but they have to be better than many and they have to be entertaining so like one example is a, is a guy called shroud who was paid around 10 million dollars to sign on to mixer um, and then he was paid out when mixer got shut down and he went across to twitch which is crazy um and mixer kind of got integrated a little bit with facebook they bought across um where their partners could seamlessly transition across to facebook so there was a bit of an out there but he took the he took the payout and said no thank you facebook and now he's on now he's on twitch but for him he was a pro gamer he started creating content and he was making so much more money and having a lot less stress from content creation that he said screw this i'm quitting and i'm gonna, just going to be a csgo streamer and then uh you know and then he played a lot of the battle royales like apex legends and PUBG and things like that too and he is amazing. He's an aim god. He's so good at his game. He's easy top one percentile. And that's a lot of his marketing. You know, he's not as engaging. He's not as upbeat and exciting as someone like Ninja. He's quite reserved. You know, he doesn't necessarily jump up and down. He doesn't necessarily have a really loud voice. He's, he's much quieter. Um, but he's just so damn skilled at the game. And he's good at keeping in touch with his fans that he's good. Whereas Dr. Disrespect, also a great player, not as good as Shroud. But he's a fantastic personality. It's a, it's a whole gimmick going on all the time. And you can submerge yourself in his world of him being the two-time. You know, him being the 80s LA cop that, that you, you know, see on 3 a.m. TV. Um, yeah. Or someone like Ninja, you know, who's who's you could say is more family friendly, who has great branding behind him. He always, he's always got the Red Bull headband on. You know, he's always loud and proud and in charge, and he's more like, you know, I wouldn't want to say maybe a little bit more Disney host than the others. So he's a bit more on camera. He's a bit more toothy smile. He's a bit more like that, which is which is who he is. And I guess that's the same for all of them too. The three of them just play a character, which is themselves. 
a lot of the time. But definitely you can't just be, you know, there's a common misconception that you can just be a good looking girl, jump on and play video games and boom, you've got like, you know, 400,000 followers. Because if you if you suck at the game, like who wants to watch that? If you really suck at soccer and, and you're just like a good looking person and you're like, yeah, I'm going to kick a ball and get 10 million subscribers, it's not going to happen because everyone's going to be like, well, cool, you look hot, but it only lasts for a few minutes and then I don't want to watch you ever again. You know, these, yeah. these streamers are streaming like five days a week, eight hours a day a lot of the time. So you have to be engaging. You know, you, you, if you've got holes in your game, like they can see through those holes. It's not just you're just on, you know, it's not just you can't just fake it. You're not just doing two-minute videos out there. You're not just doing um, performances like, uh, you know, Millie Vanilli who get caught out for having their backup singers being the ones that are really singing and dancing. You know, you, you're always on in this situation. You're you're always on Twitter. You're always on Instagram. You're always doing stories. You're always on Twitch. Then you're doing YouTube videos and then you're doing live appearances. Like you need to be true to true to who you are. Yeah, it's – um. I I can't remember now. I've just I, I ran into their page. There there's probably millions of them. They're a massive crew in America. They're they're gamers. Face face clan. Face clan face clan. I what what are their story? I was I was shocked. I was watching their videos of their mansion. They're all these <laughs> like nerdy guys, and they got like ten girls. And in their yeah. videos, they're they're, they're, they're all writing that these girls are gold diggers. <laughs> There's a really, there's a really funny story about that. It's and it's about a Call of Duty player who I don't think he's in phase. I don't think he ever has been. But he's a Call of Duty professional player. He's quite good looking. Goes to the gym quite a lot. And um, you know, there's that cliche of a lot of a Latin American um, news weather weather girls. You you see them on YouTube. Like people love to make those those creepy <laughs> YouTube compilations of like good looking you know, weather girls. But one of them. Yeah, one of them who, if you saw her, you'd probably recognize her because she's one of the most famous and she's a massive celebrity in, in Latin America, reached out to him because um, from what I understand is that, you know, he had like a million plus followers on Instagram. He's really good looking. She's like, he must be a sports star, you know, he and he he slid into her DMs and they started dating. But, you know, obviously after a bit, she found out he's an esports star and he plays <laughs> video games. But it's pretty funny to see that. Crossover. So like leading into FaZe Clan, for example. So, I mean, FaZe Clan literally started off as a bunch of like 16-year-old kids making pretty cringy Call of Duty videos for other 16-year-old kids. You know, if you were 20 watching that, you'd be like, oh, like it's dumb music, it's stupid dubstep, they're doing like 360-degree no-scopes, like this is just stupid. But it's very entertaining, especially for their audience. And they grew from there into a massive company. You know, the company's worth over $240 million now, you know, um, compared to them and their competitors, you know, they they should be on track to, to making 30, 40, 50 million dollars a year in revenue, you know, comp like, you know, as their competitors and within where they're sitting within the market. Um, you know, they're doing things like, uh, you know, I had their chief revenue officer come on board. They sold a million dollars worth of champion merchandise in the first hour. They did a drop on a Sunday. They did a collab. And anyone who works in branding knows how much this means. Champion changed their logo for phase for this collab. They did a half F, a half C for this drop. They did a they did a special drop with um uh with uh Manchester United. Similar kind of thing. They they put their logos together. And the man and the man you guys wore a, a spray jacket that said Phase Clan on it walking out into into one of their matches pre-coronavirus. Um They've got people in there, you know, like Face Banks and Adapt and Rain, who have got. They've all personally got five to ten million YouTube subscribers, plus their gaming team that has them all. You know, they previously had two ten bedroom mansions side by side in LA. Now they've got one thirty million dollar house, where, like you were saying, with that thing you were watching, where everybody's basically got their own section. Every yeah. everybody doesn't necessarily have their own room. They've got their own room, lounge room, kitchen, bathroom, toilet, like everything, like shower, like all all that stuff, uh, within all their own sections too. So. 
the thing that FaZe does really well is they skirt the line between gaming and esports. You know, I'm friends with some of their senior management and, and ex-management too. And, you know, they yes, they're an esports team. They've got one of the best Counter-Strike teams in the world, but really they're about content. Really they're about FaZe Rain. You know, he had a Lambo that he let random people draw on. He got like some some chalk pens and let, you know, he drove, was driving his Venator around and just being like, hey, you, come and draw on my car if you want. And, you know, things... <laughs> Things like that. Um, you know, they've got Nick Merckx, who I talked about before, who's making up to $12 million a year just from from YouTube people, um, from sorry, from from Twitch subscriptions. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's massive, you know, and, those, and the, the buying power of their fans. I mean, here's another thing for you, and this goes back to like that. You said that LinkedIn thing that I released the other day. So, you know, we've been working a bit with KPMG and some other uh, very traditional business clients, and the easiest thing for me is to rely on the numbers. And one of the very easy things is, okay, here's FaZe Clan. A, they've got 80 million followers across their social platforms, which is more than most like FIFA clubs do. At yeah. a, you know, and if you were to compare that one to one, they've got 10% of the valuation. You know, if they're 240 mil, that's that's like 10% of the $2.4 billion valuation some of these may have. Plus, they did a meetup in New York City at the Fortnite World Cup last year. The line was 16 city blocks long for people to see them in New York City. 16 blocks. Cops shut it down because it got too rowdy. There were too many people turned up. Then they did a meetup. A couple of days later, with just one of their talent in California, it was around 110 degrees Fahrenheit, so somewhere like 38 to 41 degrees Celsius. 2,000 kids turned up, and they started trying to break down the temporary fences, so the police shut that down as well. That's that's how many people are rocking up. You know, I mean, if you can get 2,000 kids to rock up to see one person in like 35 to 40 degree heat, like, or the previously in New York City, like 16 city blocks of people come to see you at a little store. They were doing a meetup at like a little sports store. <laughs> like, it's crazy. It's, the fandom's crazy. Level and um, I actually that's it's a question that I'm that I want to ask you just a bit down the track. But before we before we do, I just want to I just want to go into what's been going on. I probably we probably met oh and it was during COVID. It was it was a it was it was an er, it was early into the in, into COVID. I think it just started. Yeah. Um, and what's happened? What's happened to to gaming since everyone's been home? Have the numbers just been spiking? What's going on with esports just in general over the last just couple months in comparison mm -hmm. to what's already happened? So, so a couple of things. So, once again, like separating gaming and esports, right? So, esports a lot of attention, especially in simulated racing. So um, the Formula One has been running a lot of stuff in esports. Um, there's a company called Veloci Esports that did not the Bahrain when the Bahrain was supposed to be on. They did not the Oz GP because the Australian GP was the first ever sports, big sports event to be cancelled around the world. And right. a few days later, they actually ran an online not the Oz GP. Um, in Australia, Supercars, they ran something like three or four rounds with 100% of their real-life drivers playing in the online simulator environment. Um, IndyCar in the US, NASCAR in the US ran things with with almost their whole field of, of real drivers. Um, the MotoGP even did something as well globally. Um, TCR in Australia as well did something, another sim. Um, and then as far as traditional other traditional sports goes, you know, the NBA, there was a bunch of FIFA stuff, a Barclays-sponsored FIFA event for charity was, was run, um, and a whole lot as well. So a lot of attention from the outside. Um, but not necessarily a large peak in any of the numbers. Um, and the problems with esports and coronavirus comes with a lot of it's still live. You need live production facilities. A lot of people are playing from live studios each week. Um, you know, there's uh, home and away games for things like Overwatch and for Call of Duty League. They move to online. You know, Overwatch has teams in Shanghai, has teams in uh, London. It has teams um, in L.A. 
So how do they play against each other on the internet? It's impossible unless you can make the speed of light faster. The ping and the latency is too high between all those countries to play effectively. Um, so you've got some problems based around that too. Um, so esports as a whole is has a lot more attention, but not necessarily massively booming as you might see because of some of those problems. You know, online, yes, up, 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 but live things down. So think about companies that are doing pr live production. Think about ones that are doing ticketing and travel um, and are doing, you know, uh, staff management and things like that too. They're, they're definitely struggling. Influencers, man, four, five billion percent up. It's crazy. Um, the CPM is down across like YouTube for most of the influencers that we work with, maybe 20, 30 percent. Um, but a lot of them, their viewership is up 20, 30, 50 to 100 percent. Um, What's CPM? So CPM is is the cost per million, which basically means how many dollars per 1,000 views are served on YouTube. So a lot of them have CPMs that are dropping even up to 70%. So it means yeah. that they're making 70% less kind of money coming month to month. Wow. And an influencer we work with, one of my friends who lives in Australia, you know, he's earning about six, eight grand a month USD or CPM. So that that could be dropping um, you know, by by fifty, even up to seventy percent. That's off his second channel, of course. It's not his main channel because this kid loves to make money. He's good at it. Um, but you know, if you if you transpose that with brand deals, so many more brand deals coming through, and the influencers are happy to take a lower dollar amount to try to offset that money. They're not losing, but they're not gaining. If that makes sense, you know, year year on year they they're dropping in CPMs. So they're trying to make that up with extra brand deals. So they're dropping prices, but there's also more interest in brand deals coming through too. So you know, we worked with companies like Capacity working with Lifecycle at the moment, who's like a mushroom supplementation company, um, doing a lot of work with Unicorn, who's a gambling company in esports, um, doing a lot of work with OMD, an agency in Dubai with some of their brands now are quite interested from Mercedes to PepsiCo to some others too. Um, a lot of a lot of interest into that influencer area. And the viewership is just up massively, like not even just for influencers, but for media. You know, I used to work for a website called tweaktown.com, which is a lot of, if you're not a hardcore tech nerd, you probably won't like it at all. It's a lot of reviews on motherboards and graphics cards and internal components. But, you know, they're up like 100% viewership. Um, there's right. another website and good friends with Dot Esports who are owned by Gamers Group, G-A-M-U-R-S Group. You know, Riyadh Shikani posted their stats there for, for them and for Gamepur, who they own. Um, and they're up like 300% of, of um, you know, time on site and, and people, sorry, not time on site, but I think Uniques. Um, so, you know, the, the numbers are just exploding because everybody's at home and people want to watch content. People want to watch people do exciting things. What are people doing in other countries? They want to be entertained. And it doesn't seem like esports is necessarily the answer for a lot of those people. It's the, it's the content creators. Yeah. Even in, re yeah, in regards to influencers, I saw, uh, I know it's not gaming, but Joe Rogan sold, um, himself to Spotify for a hundred million. And mm. what's what I read that apparently it was, it brought like $5 billion into, into into spotify so really i wouldn't say he's worth five billion but it really just yeah. goes to show that um branding wise um personal brands are going to be huge and um it's it seems like that's what's been going. obviously it's translated into influences for gaming and and he and he thinks like a gamer i mean there's so many things like if you look at if, if you one thing resonated with me really well that he says um if if you look at what his overheads are Besides his cool facility he has with his Navy SEAL security guards and all that kind of stuff, he's got him, Jamie, and two video editors. That's it. So he made a $100 million buyout of him, Jamie, and two video editors. That That's all. Um, and if you compare that to, say, LaserBeam, you know, someone someone like LaserBeam, you know, with the CPM that he's getting, everything else, if he's not making $25 million a year, I'd be shocked. He has not a full-time manager, and he has a couple of editors that work with him, and he can create content off a $5,000 PC at home, and he's the star. If you compare that to Love Island, 
you need to get everyone to the island. You need to hire the stuff. You need 30 cameras. You need production crew. You need to pay for all of the equipment, all of the staff to go there. You need seven script writers. You need a producer. You need 10 editors, like all that stuff just to get, you know, they peak at a million views per episode. Granted, they are restricted just to Australia, but there's no reason that only Australians could watch it. It's just about things that people love. It's sexy people hooking up. But if you compare that to Laserbeam, you know, he literally, like, like I made some content about this. He made a video of him reacting to TikToks. How long would have that taken him? An hour? It's a 10 minute video. Shoots it off to his editor. They publish it. The next day, it's got 5.5 million views. Boom, he's made 100 grand. Like, that's that's all it takes him. You know, how long does it take for a news.com.au article to come out? You know, there's got to be the, got per, the editor's got to write it and the senior editor's got to approve it. And then the, and then the, then the lead editor has to read through and make sure it's okay. And then press publish. And they've got people selling ads on the platform and, you know, they've got a CEO hierarchy and a board and all this stuff. Laserman's got none of that. It's just him <laughs> makes a tweet. He's like, I want some cool as fuck TikToks to watch. His fans will send them to him. He'll react to them. He makes a hundred grand. And obviously that's the top of the, the pile. And but it's the similar with news. Not everyone's making big bank in news either, but it just gives you an idea that, the overheads are so low for these kind yeah. of guys. Like, you know, I've got a, I've got a mate who's in his early 20s. I taught him how to run an invoice a couple of weeks ago. He's going to make 800 grand this year. He's buying a house cash. Um, yeah. He's settling He's settling today, I think. And one of the conditionals, one of the conditions for settlement is, it, is the internet fast enough because it only had like five upload and he's like, if you can't get 13, I'm not buying the house. Oh, you know, it's like what? a four-bedroom house with a pool in a, in a CBD location. I don't, I don't want to dox him too much, but... You know, he, he's going to make 800 grand this year. He doesn't even know how to run an invoice. And what yeah. are his overheads? He edits all his own videos. He makes all his own content. At the moment, he lives at home with his dad and he helps to look after his little brother. And he drives a Toyota 86 that he obviously he bought in cash. Yeah, far out. And then in regards to this, is this the peak or have we just not begun? <laughs> like, where are we? <laughs> it's nowhere near the peak because the way I would explain it is, you know, I'm millennials born in 91. My my generation is the last generation of non-gamers. There's people that I went to school with who would be like, nah, fuck games, they're for nerds, they're stupid. It's it's not like that anymore. You know, talking to 18-year-olds, they don't necessarily classify themselves as gamers the same way that you and I wouldn't say, I'm a hi, my name's Chris, I'm a car driver. It's like, of course you can drive a car. You know, you're old enough and you live in Melbourne. You know, of course you can drive a car. Or I'm from Tasmania. There's there's shit all public transport there. So of course you can drive a car. And the same thing with these guys with gamers, guys and girls. They're like, of course I play Fortnite. Of course I play Minecraft. Of course I've, you know, had Candy Crush on the iPad and played that for 400 hours. Because it's just it's just part of the culture. So now it's no longer like gaming is that nerdy activity that only some people do. Like everyone's everyone's a gamer. It's just how serious you get with it. So it means your total value of market, your TAM, is just huge. It's gigantic. So you feel like phase. You sit in that angle where they're cool. They got lots of chicks. They got Lambos. They're making bank. They're wearing gold chains. Offset is one of their investors. Um, Yo Gotti is one of their investors. So Yo Gotti's latest YouTube video or one of his latest called Pose for his song. Look it up. There's phase. There's 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 four phase guys standing in that video. Um, no way. You know they're they're hanging out with people like that. Um, you know that that's the type of content they make. And then there's other content like Doctor Disrespect where he's got that that type of the market. So, you know, if you're interested in um, Lambos, you're interested in rap, you're interested in, interested in Yeezys, but also gaming, go to FaZe Clan. Like, like they're going to be able to speak your language as to what as to what you want. So yeah. we're definitely oh. not, definitely not, definitely not uh, at the peak. As well as, you know, as far as technology goes, for those in, in India and Africa, the technology adoption in there is absolutely off the charts. You know, every year there's, there's so many more of these, you know, one billion 
plus continents or countries that are getting access to internet who's never had it before. So like a case study to look at is PewDiePie, who's the most subscribed YouTuber in the world, versus T-Series, which is basically a, a, a YouTube channel that, that um, collates, shares, and produces Indian music videos. You know, T-Series has, has over 100 million subscribers just in a couple of years, and their viewership is their viewership is intense. And that's just growing because, you know, not every Indian has access to the internet yet. You know, it's still it's still an emerge, still an emerging market. So it's just it's growing massively. Then so then, what happens? Let's go let's go into sports. What happens to the traditional sports in compared to to esports? Is esports going to take over it? Um, is there a chance esports is going to be larger than it? And if so, what where do you, what do you think is going to happen? Because I'm getting these weird things that I think we're going to have gamers that are or sports soccer players through gaming that's going to be probably making more money than Cristiano Ronaldo or whoever that is in in he won't be around in five ten years time but I could probably mm. see that happening what do you what are your thoughts and 100 percent it's not going it's not going to replace it entirely but it's going to be much bigger and it's because if if you look at it from performance marketing perspectives you know that's where so many things are moving to anymore influencers and celebrities they can't act like a billboard anymore you know you used to be able to just say well of course, Kim Kardashian is worth paying. I mean, she's probably a shit example. Like, think think like Hugh Jackman, for example. How often does Hugh Jackman go live on Instagram and interact with his fans? How many meetups does he do? How many times is he, you know, hey, guys, you know, welcome to my vlog. I'm driving around in my Toyota today. Check out the new RAV4. Like, it's just come out. You know, come yeah. and see me meet up at Westfield next weekend. Like, you know, thanks, thanks. like, shout out to shout out to Fitbit for sending me a new watch. Like, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. Like, you don't, you don't see that. And... The allure of these celebrities is that they come for their once, twice a year Wolverine on the screen. They go off to their Hollywood Hills mansion. You never hear from them again unless there's some TMZ, you know, scandal that happens around that. And that started to change with Paris Hilton and then changed even more with, with you know, the likes of Kim Kardashian and then Nicki Minaj and now Cardi B. I feel like that's almost like a flowchart on, on from one one to the other, where Cardi B, especially with WAP, is like the, the thing now. Um, <laughs> and if you look at that and you look at these TikTok talent, you know, we did some work with with uh, a TikTok talent who's got 1.7 mil, I think, on TikTok now. She creates like up to eight pieces of content per day, at minimum around five. She's doing two to three TikToks. She goes live on TikTok once or twice a day. She's posting on LinkedIn. She's doing like weekly YouTube videos. She's posting on Twitter. She's doing Instagram stories and Instagram posts, like nonstop, because people want access to them like 24-7. And you don't you don't get that with, with sports celebrities. When's the last time you saw like an AFL player who was like a number 25 pick you know, going out and getting that personal sponsorship, going out to YD, doing some collabs with them. You don't see that. You don't see that unless it's Favola. You don't see that unless it's Dustin Martin or Eddie Maguire or someone like that, right? But in gaming and esports, it's super common. You know, players in the tier two leagues will have a mouse sponsor and they'll be like, hey, check out the new Logitech mouse, you know, use my code for 10% off and they'll get a kickback. It's very common for people in the grassroots to do that. But you don't see that very often unless they're highly commercially orientated, like a very few examples, like Shaquille O'Neal, who was coming to Australia pre-coronavirus, um, yeah. like David Beckham. Um, and, I mean, they're, they're probably the two most obvious examples. They've got lots of fragrances. They're in lots of ads, like all that kind of stuff. You know, maybe Warney. Um, you see him quite a bit. Maybe Ricky Ponting. You see him quite a bit like Rexona and stuff. But, you know, you, you can name those. That, that's that's across, like, what, 20 sports? You can name those people on two hands. You know, Usain Bolt maybe as well. You know, these kind of guys. But in esports and gaming, it's happening all the time. They're doing their own streaming, which they're monetizing. They're doing, you know, they're creating their own leagues where people can join leagues and they're monetizing that. 
and play competitions underneath them. They're opening, I mean, one of the most famous Counter-Strike players in the world, Fallen. He has his own gaming academy in Brazil, which helps underprivileged kids out, you know, out of the favelas to become better Counter-Strike players. Like wow. you don't, you know, and he's not someone who's earning $40 million a year. So imagine if he was earning $40 million a year, how much he could be doing and how much the people who are come to his level will, will be doing, you know, when they when they come to that size. So it definitely won't, it won't replace traditional sports, but a lot of traditional sports is a legacy. And there's a great article I read in the past that made sense, which is, I guess, the age of cool in sports is over or starting to be over, where a CEO of a company will be a fan of Essendon. And that's the sole reason why that company sponsors Essendon, because that, that doesn't fly anymore. You can't just be a billboard. You can't just sponsor it just for the coolness factor. There's got to be some more behind it there's got to be like some roi there's got to be some proper marketing there's got to be some returns happening on that too and that's what we're seeing you know with with all the companies we're working with they want guarantees they want guarantees on viewership they want guarantees on link clicks they want guarantees on sales or at least like a best guess with case studies where in the past it's just been like hey laser beam um can you do a 30 second pre-roll for me and he'll be like yeah that's 40 grand which is likely what he charges in usd and then you just pay that you know, and you say, hey, can I see your demographics? And that's the best you're going to get. But but now, like a lot of the brands are like, no, we want you to guarantee 100,000 link clicks. And if and if it doesn't happen, you need to make some tweets about it or you need to, you know, do some other stuff. You can't just be a billboard anymore. You have to be accountable, which is, I mean, it's how the rest of the world works. It's how banner ads work. It's how Facebook ads work. Imagine if you went to Facebook and you plugged in, I'm going to put 3 million bucks into Facebook advertising for my drop shipping. And then they were just like, cool. And that's it. And they deserved it. They didn't tell you how many people you're going to reach. They didn't tell you where they lived. Like, of course, that's not going to work. So, <laughs> but it's the allure of cool. And and there are some great case studies, like I said. You know, Faye sold a million bucks in a day. But you, you just need some guarantees on both sides. Guarantees on both sides. Both both people have to take a risk here. And, that, and that's a lot of the work that we do. Where, you know, say with Unicorn, betting company, extremely numbers-based, where we will work with, with a person, an influencer, and we'll pay them 30% less than their normal rate. But we provide them with an astronomical commission. Like, I mean astronomical compared to what these other people will pay. And we'll help them with sales targets and say, look, if, if you get to this, let's do a month trial with you. You know, you're getting some money up front. So we're not wasting your time entirely. We're giving you a huge commission base. Here are commissions that other people are earning with direct examples. Here's some videos. Here's how they did it. We will write the scripts for you. We'll help you out anyway. Here's how much commission we think you should make, which is usually 2x what we're paying them up front. If it works in a month, let's sign on for three. If it works for three, let's sign on with another three um, and, and do some work. And man, that is hard sometimes to convince. It's taken me three months to convince people to do that. But now we're working with one guy, a CSGO YouTuber in the Netherlands. We're paying him three grand a month. And he just made six grand commission, 6,600 commission USD. So, you know, yeah. it works, but you just have to, to drill it into their head sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> That's insane. And let's, let's talk about, let's talk about yourself. Um, your LinkedIn content or just your content in general at the moment has been going crazy. What's, 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 what do you, what's your social marketing strategies and what's your campaigns and what are you, what are you trying to achieve out of what you're, what you're putting out? So LinkedIn right now is probably 70% of our clients and 80% of our revenue, like direct leads coming from LinkedIn. And that's what we use it for. So LinkedIn's been through a few stages from my understanding um, is in the, in the past, it was a digital resume. You would only add people who you've worked with. You know, you would give them endorsements for Microsoft Excel and Word and marketing and maybe write a recommendation and they would do the same. And you would never add anyone you haven't worked with. And then it became add everyone you can. To, to build uh, an audience. And now it's become almost like a pseudo kind of influencer slash lead generation platform, which is exactly how I've used it over that period. So I started only adding people I knew and worked with. 
then it got a bit wider to adding people within the companies that I worked with, but kind of knew, you know, maybe see them in email chains and didn't, and then started adding everyone and then started target adding people within industries. So I want to get in contact with more AFL teams. So I'd have the AFL teams up on my left monitor. All right, okay, Essendon. So I would go into LinkedIn, type in Essendon, and then I would add digital marketing, marketing, social media, CEO, you know, et cetera, to, to start to connect with those kind of people. And then what I started doing was every time I would read an article that I thought helped me, gave me some information, I would just share it on my LinkedIn, push it out there. You know, if it's if it gives me info, it probably helps someone else out too. And now that's kind of changed and evolved over time to start to push out like a lot of our own content. So usually like my posting philosophy on LinkedIn is, is I will find an article, I'll share it with dot points, um, to easily break it down, you know, three to five dot points for someone with a, with a tagline at the top. I'll put in some extra information that maybe only I know or you can't get even by reading the article. And then I'll post a nice photo. And then obviously I will always link in and credit the article as well. So it means that someone probably gets more information by reading my post that takes them 10 seconds than it does to take five minutes to read through the whole article. They also know that I am um, on beat with with all the information that's happening around the world because we share a lot of content. They also know that I know what I'm talking about because I add some extra, you know, tidbits of information in there. So if you're like Playside Studios, who we're in partnership with, Jerry sends me a message to CEO and says, hey, Chris, we want to get into esports. I've seen you posting a ton about it. You seem like you know what you're talking about. Come in and chat to me. And, and now we're in partnership and we're physically based out of their offices when it's not coronavirus. Obviously, I'm at home in the home studio at the moment. Um, so that's that's how we get a lot of our work. You know, I said the the um, Dubai client we're working with, LinkedIn, um, Saudi movie cinema company, LinkedIn, working on a reality show, Brazilian reality show with a Spanish and, and US company, LinkedIn. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of our work's coming through there. So so now we're posting what we call like carousels, which are those images you can kind of scroll through, which which really are like a PDF on LinkedIn. Um, we're working on a lot of YouTube videos as well. You can see part of my scene behind me with the cool gamer stuff, um, and my purple lighting that sits around here, um, and you know also sharing like a lot of news as well. And you know video video is a lot of the future for that stuff. People like it, but not not everyone wants to watch a video. So so we share a lot of tech stuff as well. Um, and it's been going super well for us. Good on you. Um, cause just for anybody that's probably listening, that was if they ever wanted to get into uh, esports or gaming or anything of that jazz, like what exactly? How? What exactly do you do that you could probably uh, uh, sit, people can come and and have a chat to you about? Sure. Yeah. So you can find me on on LinkedIn. You know, it's LinkedIn.com forward slash in forward slash Smithy Mayo. So Smithy is in my last name with a Y, then Mayo is my game in Mayo as well. Yeah, cool. Yeah, or Smithy Mayo on Twitter or Instagram, wherever. Um, but, you know, the same as what we talked about is that, you know, esports and gaming is just business. So just find the angle. You know, my my lawyer that I use, he's a sports lawyer, but he has a lot of knowledge and interest in esports and influences. So that's why I use him in there. But he never stopped working in NRL. He's never stopped working in cricket. He's never stopped working in tennis. Um, you know, my accountant, the same. He's a he's an angel investor in an esports team, but one of his largest clients is a bunch of Harvey Norman franchises. You know, but it's because he's a gamer. Um, you know, if you if you're looking at that, funnily enough, there's a massive link recently between gaming and real estate as well. A bunch of gamers are going into real estate. I don't I don't know why. It must be the pull. It must be the lure of the of the industry. <laughs> but um, you know, there, there's always there's always angles to get in there. So so let's say that you're uh, and I mean this is common. We talked about this with Ford models. You know, they're they're essentially an influ- they're essentially an influencer agency. And they went, well, what do we know? We know talent. We know brands. So let's just go get some esports talent and connect them with brands. Um, you know, the movie cinema company came to me and they're like, hey, you know, we've got all these screens and all this space. 
how can we attract gamers to here? How can we do something else that, that involves us with this? Look at the Adelaide Crows. They bought an esports team. The Adelaide Crows are like, what do we know? Sports teams, obviously. Let's go buy an esports team and put them in and then sell sponsorships across. So Optus sponsors both, um, you know, across the Crows and across Legacy, which is their esports team. So just find that find that angle that, that interests you, you know. And, and usually what I say to junior people who want to get a job in this space is pick one thing and stick with it. With me, it was commentary. You know, I was like, I love doing commentary and I stuck with one company called Net Game Radio and I just kept asking them to do more every time. I was like, hey guys, I really want to review games. Can I just post them on here? They went, if you want to do it, do it. I said, hey guys, I'm getting into Counter-Strike. You guys don't cast that. Um, can I can I get in there? They're like, if you want to do the work, you can do that. And then I was like, hey guys, your marketing manager left, you know, once again, a volunteer position. Um, I've got interest in that. And they went, well, if you want to do it, go and do it. So you know, literally just making my own holes in, in the space and, and then filling them. Um, and similar when I was at Tweaktown, you know, I was at Tweaktown, I was doing just just news and, and audio reviews, like headsets and stuff. Um, and then the guy who did smartphones and smartwatches, he picked up graphics cars. And I was like, hey, Anthony, you're obviously really busy and now you're more busy. Can I take the old thing off you because you don't care about phones that much anymore? He's like, yeah, you can do it. So literally, like the way to get ahead a lot of the time is just pick up the pieces. And I mean, Jocko Willink talks about this a lot and stuff too. You know, if you just make your boss look good, if you ask your boss, hey, what's the what's the menial task you hate the most? Can I do it for you? Like, like that's a great way to get into the industry. So, so to recap, I guess, from both sides, like one, like happy to have people reach out to me, but just just find a parallel into what you currently do. You know, if you're like Manny and James from Elias Skin and you do supply chain and you do dropshipping and you do selling, do that, but in gaming, sell, sell keyboards. So, you know, work, create merchandise, sell, sell that. Um, you know. If you are, are into sports management, manage players. Um, or if you want to get in as a job, everybody wants volunteers. You know, there's a, there's a very common thing of a lot of people like to talk down about doing free internships and people should be paid and yada yada. Like I, I don't have either stance on that argument on that argument because I don't really care that much because I did so much volunteer work that got me to where I am today that I would have not got here if I went no, I need to be paid twenty dollars an hour. As long as you're getting something out of it yourself, volunteer works personally perfectly fine. Like no one does, no one does volunteer work for free. People do it to put on their resume. People do it to get ahead in the industry. So it's perfectly fine. But you need to, you know, you need to get something out of it at, at the same time too. So those are the those are the two pathways of entry for me. And you touched on you touched on just before, just in regards to uh, Adelaide Football Club bringing in a team. Uh, yeah. Essendon Football Club did it as well. They failed. Mm. Uh, or not, well, they could have failed. Well, they shut it down. So yeah, it was yeah. something of, of sorts. What what happened there and what are we starting to see with Adelaide? I'm sure it'll probably follow suit with other football clubs and other, maybe soccer clubs. I know it's happened actually with Melbourne City. They've got they've got a league. Um, how does that all work? Yeah, so the, the Bombers won, you know, I think that they didn't necessarily pick the right angle, maybe not the right games to invest in, maybe we're a bit too big too early. And we've seen that, you know, we saw that with Gfinity here in Australia. Gfinity is a UK esports tournament. That came to Australia, it was partnership with Hoyts, the cinema chain, and here, there and everywhere was one of the major shareholders of it, which owns, you know, I think KISS, radio station in Sydney, some newspapers and billboards, some other stuff too. They were way too big too early, those guys, and that's why they shut down. It just cost too much to do. The market couldn't sustain it, and they were too focused on esports, not enough on gaming. Uh, I, did, I did a little bit of pre-consultancy for a few different parties based around that too, so I can speak as kind of an insider without signing any NDAs or giving too much away, I guess. But, you know, I, I feel that... Essendon did a lot of the same stuff too, is is it's exciting. The company annual growth rate is exciting. The market is growing. The tournaments are big, but still understanding like there's a difference between gaming and esports. 
and there's a niche. You know, we're planning a reality show for a game in Brazil at the moment, and we've got um, some partnerships with some of the top FIFA players in the world cooking. But understanding for us that that's not a hardcore esports platform. We can't pretend that it's going to be hardcore esports because it's reality. There's got to be some drama in there. And we want to maintain some competitive integrity to make sure we actually make the players better. It's not just like a sex fest or something like that. But, you know, it's actually got some esports competitive integrity behind it and they become better players at the end and they get signed onto a pro contract, you know, something like that, win some money, change their life. But, you know, we can't pretend that it's pure esports competition because there was a there was an AFL show like that, right? Like the recruit or, well, or something like that. There's, yeah. there's, there's been a soccer one before as well where they win a contract. Yeah, exactly. So some so some stuff like that too, right? So you know you got you got to find those right balances. So there'll be more. You know, there's so many agencies that are coming into the space as well. You know, Dare Ice Coffee and Icebreak. You know, they're through traditional agencies. They're massively into the space. Twitch TV is expanding hugely into here. They've got two partnership managers, a sales manager, a sales director, and now a marketing manager in Australia. I mean, in 2014, they had one partnership manager because he started like three days after I started at my last full time job at Corsair. Um, Lewis, he's a he's a champion. So they're you know, there's there's so much more expansion coming out of space. I mean, even the NBL, they broadcast all of their matches on Twitch now. And they're and they're achieving like six hundred to a thousand concurrent viewers a lot of the time. If you've got six hundred to one thousand concurrent viewers as a as a solo um, influencer, you should be making a hundred to three hundred grand a year. Wow. So, you know, if if you compare that just alone, you know, it's not one to one because it's different commerciality. It's different, you know, you're not going to get as many paying subscribers because you're a sport, you're not a person. But, you know, it gives you it gives you an idea. You know, I got a we manage a guy who's going to make 300 grand this year who has 700 concurrent viewers, but he's very very commercially minded, has an older audience that's that will buy higher priced products and donate more money. But still, you know, top of the crop just gives you something to aim for. So there's definitely going to be a lot, lot, lot more of that. And you're right too. All of the A-League teams, they participate in the E-League competition, which in its first season got more digital viewership than the A-League did in its like however many seasons it had. So that's either really good or really bad, depending depending which which way you look at it, <laughs> from the A-League perspective or the E-League so perspective. Talk to, about, talk to me about the E-League. Um, is there... Like uh, FIFA, it's not that big of a game, is it, in, um, in compared to a lot of the games? And does where does that sit um, in mm. in esports or, or gaming? So, way to think about like a game and its esports audience is what percentage of players are likely to be interested or compete in esports. So, if you say like you know how many fans of the AFL are active competitors in the professional scene, or or active fans in more than just their local footy club. Um, so you've got some games like StarCraft 2, which is a very high skill ceiling and also very high entry level. It's a hard game to understand. It's got a really high percentage of casual fans are also esports fans because it's just really hard to do. And likely if you've got that drive to learn the game, you've got the drive to learn more about it and become a better player. Whereas a game like FIFA is the opposite. You know, it's one of the biggest games in the entire world. It's huge, but the percentage of esports um, interest is very low. But because the total available market of the game is huge, like there's so much opportunity in there. And also there's so many tie-ins between the professional scene, between the traditional space. You know, Danny Alves, who I've been told is, is you know, one of or the most decorated football player in, in history. You know, he owns an esports team that he's the face of called Good Crazy, and he's also involved with S2V. Um, yeah. You know, Neymar Jr. is is friends with an esports team called Furia in Brazil and has done quite a few appearances with them. Um, it's very common, you know, for these guys and girls to be involved, you know, with that kind of space. So it's got a massive market. And once again, that means that it doesn't necessarily have to be hardcore esports. It can be casual because how many people love just, you know, have it sinking a couple of beers, having pizza with their mates and shit talking on FIFA, whether in person or, or you know, ordering Uber Eats and doing it over the internet. 
Like it's a it's a massive casual game, and that's that's okay to be like that too. But it just means it's different than Counter Strike or Overwatch or League of Legends, which are much more hardcore esports. Well, um, do you see as we go on? Could, is FIFA going to be? Could it be one of those games that it's it's going to play a, a massive role in this, or is it always just going to be that very casual um, mm. type of game? I don't I don't think it's going to cross the same boundaries because once again, it's not it's sitting like within that it's sitting within that middle sphere. You know, it's it, it's big in its own right, but it's definitely not a tier one esport. Um, you know, like like the world champion for the last two years in a row is a guy from Saudi. Um, you know, he's got a significant following, and he's obviously got that niche as well because because he's creates content specific for his area. Very similar to how, say, Khabib is massive, you know, in the Muslim community globally because he's like a Muslim poster child because he's a fantastic fighter and also the same religion, right? So so he has that same thing, but still, they're not. You don't find the depth where it's like, you know, the 16th best player in the world has a million followers on Twitter. You, you okay. don't find that. But but you can in a game like Counter-Strike where, um, you know, the top 20 players can all have 200,000 plus Twitter followers. But you don't okay. you don't have that in, in something like FIFA. You might have a few at the top, at, kind of similar to AFL, right? Like unless you're Brennan Favola or someone like that, most AFL players have like 2,000 Twitter followers. You know, they, yeah. don't, they don't have that many. Yeah, 15, 15,000 Instagram followers, 8,000. Yeah, and, they, and it's funny. They actually, I've always, always thought that why don't they get so much more press? Like, is it because they're, they're bound by, for example, Richmond where they can't? Or is it just, it's just a thing that they've never gone out yeah. and... A lot of the time is they don't understand and they don't have the motivation and don't and don't know what's available to them. And this, this is what happens with players a lot of the time too. Like, um, you know, I did did some content with a previous world champion in a game called Dota 2, which has like a, a yearly competition that has up to a $35 million prize pool. Um, and, you know, he said, he was like, look, Chris, there's so much money to be made in prize money that they don't give a shit about streaming. They don't want to suck up to a brand for a $3,000 deal when if they win the international, it's a million bucks in your pocket player so they'd rather spend all their time trying to become a better player they don't care about twitter a lot of them are quite reserved too so it just yeah so it so it just really depends but but you're right in that you know they i think they should do more and we starting to see a little bit like the afl gamers network you're seeing a lot of these players stream and create content um mma i think is leading the space a lot in that too because the fighters are so contractors you know they they get pages to turn up and fight and sometimes they get paid shit all to turn up and fight so they're really looking for other ways and you know, we've worked with Rob Whitaker in the past, Tyson Pedro, you know, two two great Aussie fighters, um, you know, just, just had another brand deal email come through right now for for another female MMA fighter who's fighting on a main card coming up soon. An Aussie, another Aussie who's also a gamer um, and that kind of stuff too. So, you know, they're creating a lot of content. You see Sean O'Malley creating a ton of content. Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, there's global names, you know, Max Holloway streaming himself playing games. Um, so, you know, I think they're, I think they're leading the way a lot there. Have you seen? I've seen Nick Kyrgios. He was being. He's been playing with. Yeah, um, a bit of cod. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> he's not he's bad been, actually. He's pretty good. Surprisingly, because yeah. to be honest, a lot of them are pretty shit. Um, but he's, he's good. <laughs> he's all right. Yeah. So, like, yeah, everyone just, says they're a lot better than at games than they are because you you can tell straight away. Like I get this. Uh, it's really awkward because you know sometimes people be like, "Oh, Chris used to be a pro. Like, you know, can you play games against my friend that that you know says they're really good?" And every time you're like, "Please no," because I know they're going to be terrible, and I have to be nice. <laughs> <laughs> you just quick scoping them, just <laughs> just fucking around with them. Uh, how but... many guys who say that they're good at picking up chicks actually are? You know, it's the same with gaming, right? <laughs> 
if you have to brag about it, if you have to brag about how rich you are and how good you are at picking up chicks, like unless you're Dan Blazarian, like it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I get the concept, man. It's uh, everyone. So everyone that's uh, the standard people that are flashing how rich they are in the room, generally they're the ones that uh, just don't have as much. So it's I, I yeah. understand the concept. Um, what what makes a successful organization? Like you've been talking about Phase Clan and all these all these all these companies that have they partnered up with Neymar and and Danny Alves and all that jazz. Mm. Is it a very similar business model to tra- traditional? Like even for example, like sport, the sporting organized like sporting clubs. Is it a very similar run model? Mm, it's it has been in the past, but it's changing for for good reason. So in the past, teams have been raising, you know, as, as far as you know, like I said, the valuations. You know, a team like Phase is 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 valued at two forty million according to Forbes. If you if you Google like Forbes esports team valuation, you can see all these numbers. You know, and Forbes says they make somewhere like thirty mil revenue. You know, the largest esports team in the world is Cloud Nine, valued at four hundred, but they're losing a lot of money. They, they all are, um, and it's because it's it's hard just to focus on those twelve to thirty six month traditional sports sponsorships when there's so much money to be made in content out there. So that's why teams like FaZe and 100 Thieves and a few others are folk and NRG are focusing so hard on the content angle because you can monetize individual content pieces that go out and you don't have to be stuck to just say Toyota because you could do a 30-second pre-roll for Ferrari and then you could also do a live event meetup for Lamborghini and then you could also do some singular Twitter posts through one of your 30 influencers for Toyota. So you can be yeah. monetizing of all three of those but keep them separate enough that it's not too confusing. And, that, and that's quite common. You know, FaZe Clan helped to launch the Rebel Whopper in the US. They did like right. a month-long campaign. There's no reason that right now, after a couple months break, FaZe couldn't work with Maccas to do their next 16-block lineup meetup at Maccas, uh, obviously after coronavirus is over, or, yeah. or um, you know, order some food at home with Uber Eats. But you, you can't do that if you're stuck to that 12-month long-term sponsorship. If you're stuck to NIB insurance as as Richmond, you can't do a quick content hit piece on another brand. And that's what, you know, we've been talking to Sydney Sixers about this as well. We're like, come on, guys, you got a million followers on Facebook. Do some content. Like, what are you doing? Stop trying to sell $300,000 sponsorships and sell $20,000, $30,000 pre-rolls and, yeah. and um, you know, campaigns and things like that. And, yeah, it takes more work, but ultimately the payoff is more money and access. You've got assets sitting there that aren't being sold. Um, well, so, once again, it goes down to the players being active too because then the organization acts as a pseudo um, influencer manager. It's it's illegal in California, especially, for an employer to also be a manager. So you can't, um, you know, phases actually an illegal suit around this with a, with a large creator called Tafui around this, and that, that's part of him wanting to exit the contract is he's saying, look, they were trying to manage me and be my employer at the same time. That's illegal. You need a talent, you need a talent management license in California to do that, um, which I assume is because of Hollywood and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, looking at that, you can still act as a pseudo one where you've got semi-contractors. You know, we, we helped to sign a deal with an esports team that straight out said to us, we split some of the money directly with the players to pay them to create content for this brand. You know, so it's it goes much deeper than just signing up a junior AFL player on a sixty grand salary. It's it's a sixty grand salary plus bonuses. It's sixty plus. Hey, we're going to try to get you forty grand in appearances and deals and and this kind of stuff. Rather than you know, in the past, how often do you see the Melbourne Storm doing meetups and going to things? You know, they might go to one charity thing. They'll send yeah. one or two of their blokes across to like a Toyota meetup or whoever they're sponsored by these days, um, and stuff like that too. But now it's like it's always on, and it's part of the contracts. 
these guys are having to be like, hey, you know, we're sponsored by Corsair, you know, check out my Corsair headset I'm wearing while I'm playing. Like they have to make those tweets as part of being signed to that team. So there's so much more uh, capacity for for that kind of stuff. Um, and some people will then see that, like you said, with Shroud, that example before, and then quit being a pro player because they're like, I can make a bunch more money and have much more fun just screwing around on Apex Legends than I can being a CSGO pro. Content. And wow, okay, so that's actually very interesting. When you break that down, um, there is a bit of a change in the models where a lot of these sporting clubs are still very traditional. Um, mm. And uh, all these, oh, wow, that's, I didn't know that. Now that you think about it, it makes complete sense. Um, talk to me about the Shade House concept. Now, mm -hmm. this was a concept, um, well, actually, I'll let you explain it. I know it, bloody man. <laughs> yeah, yeah sure. I'll let you explain it. <laughs> so so, uh, so Shade Shade and Shade Crew was was taking a lot of those concepts from FaZe, which is how do we, how do we take traditional market interest and traditional influence interest and bring it across into gaming and help to unlock the fact that a lot of people are gamers they just don't necessarily talk about it a lot of the time so you know we we got a um got a house in brighton on the waterfront a couple doors down from ricky ponting apparently someone told me um <laughs> and we we signed on a bunch of talent and launched the company with with jerry from playside studios as a ceo of this company and ceo of He's CEO of Playside currently, um, with support from him, uh, with support from the Angry Dad boys as well. So Mitch Orville just had a kid, very cute. Check him out on Instagram. Um, with uh, Mitch's brother as well, Dylan, and then their dad involved in the periphery. Um, also with Josh Miller, Steph Claire Smith's um, at the time fiance, now husband. Um, Shane Warne's son, Jackson Warne. And a few other guys that work in the photography space as well. Tina, who's a cosplayer. So a real ragtag bunch of people. So there were some good and some bad and some fantastic learnings from this. It was, you know, we went as far as the content goes and, and Jerry agrees and he talks about this, I think, in the No, Lim no Limits podcast with Leo, who I believe you, you've had on here. And, you know, too hard, too early. Went too hard, too early and didn't necessarily have the right mix of fans. It was a little bit too non-gaming, non, sorry, mix of talent, a little bit too much non-gaming talent where FaZe, they come from, they, they're birthed from like the grassroots of 16-year-old nerds playing games in their mum's basement up to now they're attracting interest from Offset and Yo Gotti and things like that where we were like a little bit opposite so it didn't resonate as well with the audience and then obviously the overheads, you know, to create something like that are quite extensive. The advantage of influence agencies is you're not paying salaries to a talent like you are with pro gamers but still, you got to, you know, it's not a, not a cheap house to maintain. We had a nice fit out um, and all that kind of stuff as well. So, you know, there's some fantastic learnings from that. And we're, we're slowly making more money than we spent on that in consultancy and teaching people our, our lessons. So, and I mean, that's a, you know, I mean, that's a great, um, a great lesson in failure as a business person. You know, that was my first big failure, I think, as a, as a startup founder. And that really messed me up for, I reckon, six months. I would think about it all the time. Every time I'd hear the word shade, I would cringe. I hated it so much because it was like, I can't believe I failed. Like, I'm an expert. Like, how did I fail at something? I'm an expert. It, you know, and then you go through the whole, well, it's not my fault. It's the other person's fault. It's the talent's fault. They're stupid. They didn't want to create 40 videos a day, you know, or it's, it's Jerry's fault. Because, you know, he's a CEO, like, but it's like, no, like, it's your idea, Chris, it's your company, you know, it, it was, it was 50% your money. Um, so you need to take responsibility. And, you know, it was a lot of, I guess, introspection, thinking about a lot of that stuff. And it, and it does make it scary to try new things. But, you know, that's also why you build a safety net. And that's, that's why, you know, you, you do these things as an entrepreneur to try and to fail. But I've never failed a bigger than just like cancelling a small event or something like that before. So a lot of good learnings. And a lot of our really good learnings, too, is bringing across a traditional talent, whether in uh, influencer 
um, as in like Instagrammers, YouTubers, or sports celebrities, how does that convert across to gaming? We had Shane Warne playing twice at the house, for example, with his son. Um, you know, the, the stream blew up because a bunch of meme pages picked it up, like cricket memes. Uh, there was a great one, which is like, you know, question, you know, why why is Shane Warne streaming Fortnite on a Friday night? And, and another question is, why am I watching him? <laughs> and things like that too. But, you know, you see um, the attention drop off because yes, you know, hey, you know, old sporty boomer, he's playing Fortnite. It's really funny. But then after an hour, okay, Shane Warne doesn't actually know how to change weapons in game or build a ramp. Like this is starting to get a bit old. Um, so there's like that, you know, there's, there's like that kind of limit as well as with the talent understanding that's very different to go live on Twitch five days a week than it is to create, um, to create video content because video content you're on for that one, two, three hours of filming, but then you get to sit back and edit it and look at that. But when you're live on stream, it's very different. You're reading comments all the time. You need to go live at the same time every night. If you turn on the TV at 6 p.m. and the news is not on, you're like, what the hell? Like the same with these content creators too, right? You know, Ninja, when he was blowing up, was streaming seven hours a week, like nine to 12 hours a day. You know, so you need to, uh, it's a very different way of thinking and creating content. Um, and the audience doesn't always transfer across 100%. Um, and we could see that growth curve of, of, you know, like Mitch, who was our largest talent, you can see from stream one, two, three, you know, it starts at high, but where does it bottom out? And then where you can build up from there. And he has a fantastic base, but then it's just, it's coaching and educating through that kind of platform and that kind of stuff too. So yeah, a lot, a lot of good learnings. I'd, I'd do it again, but just slightly different. That was going to be, that was going to be my next question. Would you do it again? And how would you do it differently? And because there are houses in, in Australia, I know there's some gamers in Sydney that are doing very well. You showed me them last time mm. we met. So it's it is possible. It's not like yeah. is was it? Would you feel like Australia was a little bit too early for it as well? No, it's not necessarily to do with Australia because once again, it's it's global reach and viewership. You know, like a click house, which you're talking about in Sydney. You know, they're in a fifteen million dollar house in Darling. There was five talent living in that house. Um, you know, five of the biggest YouTubers in Australia. But you know, I have their audience data. It's like sixty uh, percent plus is US. You know, then there's then there's UK, Canada, rest of the world. You know, and then there's Australia, which is maybe like five, ten percent of their viewership. Sometimes up to thirteen if you're lucky. Um, but you know, and there's, and there's another group in Melbourne called the Misfits who were also in a house for a while. You know, very similar size, slightly smaller, massive rabid fan audience, and, and different market. But no, definitely not. You know, definitely not too big too early as far as esports goes because of the global reach. Just needs a slight change. What I would do is I would create videos and develop the shade crew first before moving into a house. But also understanding as far as a whole, the house only has a certain amount of time. Because you think about it, like you're 18, 19, you're making some good money, you know, you, you get excited, you want to join in a house together. How long does that last? Like how long do you want to live in a house with four other really loud people who love to have parties all the time, um, yeah. you know, who are creating content seven days a week, who really go, 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 nonstop. They're flying around, they're doing brand deals, you know, they're bringing girls home, like all this kind of stuff, right? There's only... A time, there's only like a certain amount of time you can do that. And a lot of it for mental health because you're like, hey, I want a dog. I can't get a dog. Hey, you know, I'm getting serious with this girl. She can't live here because I'm living with four other blokes who are 18 years old, you know, things like that too. So a lot of the time these houses are almost like an incubator to really like explode people and they go out. Houses are not that common anymore. Um, they might have an office where they all create content from and that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, they don't necessarily have, like, these long-term houses that last for years and years. I think the Click House maybe lasted for a year, year and a half. Misfits House, pretty similar. Um, and, you know, the Phase has a house for the longest time. But the latest one is NRG, which is an esports team overseas. 
um, CEO'd by Andy Miller. They're doing some fantastic work, and they've just announced a Fortnite house, which is a massive thing because houses aren't, aren't that much of a concept anymore. So they're going um, reverse, but it's doing well. I think their announcement video has like 1.2 million views in the first two days. It was trending on on you know top ten on um, in America on YouTube and things like that too. So they're, they're doing well. So would it be a lot of them? They've just got clubhouses and stuff like that, um, or like as you said, offices, and they keep it. Yeah. Is it? Yeah, because I remember even as an agent where I manage, I manage some properties. We chucked in um, some gamers, but they all never last. They all literally last at a year max. I think there was about three of them. One of them broke the lease. They just and uh, yeah, and then that's yeah. I was just <laughs> so I was very curious. Um, at least they didn't break the house. Yeah, no, they were but, okay. Um, they, they left. They looked after the house, but unfortunately, they're there. I can't remember the company. It was the same company every single time that they'd come to us, and we just put them in. But yeah, it just never worked out. But what's um what's next? What's next for you? It we we know we're near the peak. Um, what what's next? What's coming? And you know, what mm -hmm. do we want to achieve by the end? There's a few concepts I'm looking at. One's, one's a reality show. Um, another one is that I've been researching a long time is around just a general theme of the UFC of esports, taking some ideas of how UFC do things and how you can push them across into esports. I think there's so many similarities there. Um, and also alternative alternative monetary streams to influences is something we're looking at too um, around merchandising, around high-quality merchandise, different types, not just jackets and hoodies, but but different types of ways for them to create money. Um, and also monitoring, like say what Playside are doing, for example. You know, they're helping influencers like Keep It Cleaner have a very successful app. It's got something like a 4.9-star rating of 5,100 reviews on the App Store, which yeah. just freaks me out every time I see it. That's ridiculous yeah, that anything huge. would have that high of a rating. Um, and, you know, Bloom is another influencer app, a, a meditation app they have with um, with Mitch's girlfriend, actually, Chloe Sepp. Um, and they've got a few other influencer apps coming as well. So alternative ways for, for influencers to monetize and, and also to have something that they own for the long term. Because what happens when you don't want to create those videos anymore? When you used to create videos for seven-year-olds when you were seven, but now you're 25. You don't want to keep creating videos for seven-year-olds. You have different interests. Um, and, you know, we're, we're seeing this with rappers now. Rappers offsets posting about his kids all the time. You know, there's no way he would have been thinking about posting about his kids all the time when he was starting to rap, you know, at 16, 17, things like that. Logic, the same thing. You know, he wants to retire to be a dad from rapping, you know, and he's right. creating YouTube. He's creating Twitch content now. Sorry, he signed a he signed a million-plus deal to Twitch, million-dollar-plus USD deal to Twitch, second few deal. So things things like that too, um, you know, we're looking at. So there's a lot of, a lot of development in the space and then creating a lot more content for us too, you know, just trying to, trying to provide value and man, it's hard because so often you just want to make like the shitty LinkedIn posts that are one sentence paragraphs that bring lots of likes in. But what, what does the likes do besides just, you know, fake validation? It doesn't bring you inbounds. It doesn't increase your standing in the industry. It doesn't actually educate people and, and provide you with LinkedIn, you know, business inbounds from people who are actually part of your target market. So just, just making sure to understand that too. Thank Chris. Thank you. It's, right. This has been talk about providing value. You have provided me so much value, and yeah, you know, every every single time we have a conversation, man, you just you fill my head up with so much knowledge. So I'm sure so many people are going to get so much out of this. And anybody that is interested in getting involved in esports or gaming, Chris from Big Esports, I'll plug everything down the bottom too. I'll plug your website. And I'll plug your LinkedIn and Instagram so everyone can, can obviously get in touch with you. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. It's uh, It's been an absolute pleasure. And just uh, I I said to you the first time that I uh, 
that I spoke to you that in 10 years' time, I think you're going to be a, <laughs> pretty big in this space. And it's it's crazy to just um, just watch your growth, even even over the last couple of months, what you've been talking about. It's, it's insane, man. So I'm extremely <laughs> happy for you. And thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time out in your busy schedule to uh, to chat with me. No worries, man. You said ten years, so we'll make it. We'll make it four. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> done. Done. I uh, I can't wait to look back on this in four years, and you'll be uh, you'll be living in a thirty million dollar home in LA, hopefully. Huh? <laughs> I'll, I'll be buying it off you. So don't worry. <laughs> You're the best, Chris. Well, have a really good day, and we'll uh, we'll definitely keep in touch. Thanks, man.